Hello everyone, this is from Collard Greens to Kale with your host Judea Ingram and in this podcast you will hear a full lineup of my journey from the south all the way to the west. I am a young, inspiring entrepreneur who is trying to chase, follow, and find her true calling in life, her dreams as they say. On this podcast, you will hear all different crazy, fun, scary, sad stories that I have had to endure on this journey. So from collard greens, which is from the south, straight from the ground, from the roots of the southern hospitality, all the way to kale of the west, the strong, the healthy, the beautiful Pacific Ocean. Stay tuned. for the light to shine so brightly, the darkness must be present. Francis Bacon. When I was 18 years old, I was sitting in my mother's kitchen. She was standing in front of me with a broom in her hand and such disappointment in her eyes. She looked at me and she said, baby girl, your light shines so bright. You need to get out of this small country state and move somewhere where your light can be challenged so it can shine brighter. This is not the place for you. And she walked away. I knew that she was coming from a place of love, but she did not understand where I was at the time. During this time, I was living on my own for the very first time. I was living amongst snakes, but being so young and naive, I'm still in the mindset that everyone is my friend. I had just got released from county jail for something that I did not do. During this time, I was young, I was beautiful, I was inspiring, I was innovative, I was relentless. I was everything that a young 18-year-old girl is supposed to be during that time. One thing that I wasn't was street smart, or as I thought I was. In my neighborhood where I was living, in my apartment, I had a guy who was very known in the neighborhood, in the city actually. He was a local DJ, he comes from money, He loved to stunt, had different kind of cars, motorcycles. He had all the new fashion, things of that nature. All the girls wanted to deal with him because he was known as a trick. It was real easy to get money out of him. He actually had bought me a car. And also, I was able to go to any club in Montgomery, Alabama at that time for free. I was able to get free drinks, the works, name it. I was hanging out with this girl that lived behind me. I thought she was my friend. I would take her out with me. We would go to the clubs together. I really thought she was someone in my corner. Again, I was 18 and very naive. One day I came home to my apartment being broken in. Had no clue, of course. Thought it was just a random break in. Someone who knew I lived by myself. Nothing serious at the time. A Couple of weeks go by and then a neighbor of mine comes to me and she says, That same girl that you hang out with and you go to the clubs with is the same girl that robbed you. She had a party the other night when you wasn't home, and she told everybody that the TV that she had and the stereo that she had in her home was the ones that she's gotten from you. She said, you need to check who you be with. I just couldn't believe it. I said, no, that ain't true. I know good and well that this friend of mine was not broken into my house. But then I sat back and realized I hadn't seen her or been in her home, and she literally lived right behind me. 
our back doors were adjacent to one another. That is just how close we were to one another. Still being naive, I didn't think anything into it, or nor did I investigate it. So some more time goes by, and I get up to go to work one day. I was actually attending school at Alabama State University, and I was working as a monitor tech at, at a local hospital. And I come outside, and the car that the guy had bought me, the rims had been taken off. He had 18s on the rims, on the, tr on the car, and they were gone. The car was sitting on blocks, as they say. So, of course, I called him. I'm like, hey, somebody stole the rims. He said, no problem, baby girl. We'll stun even harder. So he went and put 22s on the car. It was a beautiful car. It was a white drop-top Eclipse. Had two 12s in a little trunk. You know, I was really stunting at the time. So he did just that. He put 22s on the car. Naive as always. Pull the car back up at home, not thinking anything of it. About three days later, I come outside, and the whole vehicle itself was gone. The car was not there at all. But this time when I called him, he had such a blase blah attitude about it, it sparked red flags for me. He said, well, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I don't know. Why would the car, who was still the car? And I was just as in shock as I could be because I had no idea what was going on. But at this moment, I realized I was being targeted. So, of course, I need a vehicle to get around. So I ended up having to use my savings and getting me a vehicle. During this time of me saving money, catching rides, doing all these things of this nature, the women that lived in the apartment who I thought were my friends had moved out. I went to the landlord and I told them like, I, that I found out that they were the ones that actually broke into my home. The landlord, I asked the landlord to take me out of my lease because they knew where I lived and I believed that they also were the ones that stole the car. The landlord was very rude. She said, there's nothing I can do for you at this time. So me feeling stuck, I had no choice but to sit out for this lease. So some time goes by again, and I come home to an apartment, not only broken into, but vandalized. My refrigerator had, be had been turned upside down. My blankets on my bed had been, um, red paint was thrown on them. My um, Jordans, my Louis Vuitton bags, anything of value was taken. However, the rent money was literally sitting on the table, on the coffee table, but they must have bypassed that, cash money. So I knew then that something was terribly wrong, but I had no idea at this moment what was happening. So then at work, I worked at night at the hospital, someone kept calling up there asking for me, but every time I would go pick up the phone, no one would pick up. So when I get off work, I go outside, there was a whole paint bucket thrown at my back window of my vehicle. Still not knowing what's going on or why I'm being targeted. I'm just, just in shock. So, of course, I take the vehicle to get repaired. And the car is at the repair shop for, let's say, two or three days. So then I find out that the girl who I thought was my friend was the one, indeed, who actually was targeting me. How I found out? I come home from work one night, and I hear loud music. And the way that my apartment was set up, it reminds me of old, the game Monopoly the little houses, like two in a row, the little square homes. There was two houses adjacent to each other. It was a low playing field, so the grass and the street was very close. It wasn't any hills or anything of that nature. So I hear, I'm in my home and I hear loud music, and when I come outside, I see my vehicle, the car that was stolen. It had the 22s on it, the music was real loud, but the girl who I thought was my friend was driving it. And she's doing donuts in my front yard. And she has another young lady in the vehicle with her who I had never seen before. 
So instantly, I react. I go get an umbrella, and I start, I run outside, and I start beating the car with the umbrella. And she drives off. So I knew then something was not right. So I instantly call the guy who bought me the car, and I say to him, you know they have the car. What is going on? So he starts to explain to me that they had come to him and told him that he that they had originally took the rims off the vehicle, and they stole the car because I had men driving the vehicle, and I was making him look like a fool, which none of this was true. All these things, all of a sudden, like a sixth sense started becoming in intuition. I found out that they were the ones that broke into my home, like the one that my neighbor had told me. I also found out that they were the ones that vandalized my home. But never once had anyone confronted me. No, never once anyone has said, Judea, this is my issue with you. So I am just still, as always, in shock. And still just as naive as I was day one. However, I started to get smarter. I realized that I was a sitting duck. As I stated earlier, the girls had moved out from the home, so I had no idea where they were. I didn't speak with them anymore, but they knew where I lived, obviously. They knew a lot about me because, as I previously stated, I used to hang out with these women. I even got the girl's sister a job at the hospital with me. So when I found out that her family and her sister were the ones targeting me, of course, I went straight to her at work. And I asked her what is going on. They were, and I asked them to come to me personally and have a discussion with me. And yes, I did threaten her sister out of anger and madness because I had no idea what was happening. And her sister was looking very dumbfounded, like she had no clue of all the things that her sister had been doing to me. So I had threatened her, and I had threatened her sister. Two days after that, I come home to my home being vandalized again. I go to my landlord. I didn't clean it up. I showed her. They had busted the back window out of the back door, came into the home, and destroyed it once again. I said, you have to let me out this lease or I'm leaving. She said, okay, we'll go ahead and sublet your apartment now that I realize what's happening to you. So now I'm starting to get leeway. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna move out. They're not gonna know where I am, or where I live, or anything of that nature. I go to work a couple of days later and my the HR department pulls me to the side and they say, listen, the police were up here looking for, me, for you. We cannot let you go back to work until you resolve whatever issue you have with them. It's probably parking tickets. So me being just as naive, not having a clue what's going on, I asked one of my friends, I said, listen, the police was up there at my job. I don't think it's an issue. And she stopped me in my tracks. She said, no, take your jewelry off, give me your money, give me your phone. If the police came to your job looking for you, it's not about tickets. It's something more serious. So go turn yourself in and see what they want. But leave all your belongings with me in case you have to sit for a while. So hearing this conversation just completely like scared me. Like, what do you mean, sit for a while? I haven't done anything wrong. I'm the one being vandalized, tormented. You know, what? why would I need to be sitting for a while? She said, well, I got your back, I don't know. And one thing that God always does in any situation, he puts angels in your, in your passage. It's just up to you to recognize who they are. And at this time, Tanisha was mine. So as she, as she told me, I went down to the police station, and I went in just as happy and go lucky, and I said, hey, um, the police were looking for me at my job. You know, I'm here. Is there questions? Is there something going on? Is this in relation to my complaints for my home being vandalized and things of that nature? They said, no, you're under arrest for menacing, which is equivalent to um, violence or um, a lower misdemeanor of manslaughter. My heart literally sunk to my feet. I had no idea what they were speaking of. They took me into this gigantic room 
and there was a metal chair that was connected to the wall that went from one end of the wall to the next. And across the room was the man, the police officer, reading me off all of these things that I had supposedly done. Kidnapping, um, vandalism of a vehicle, uh, ran someone off the road, all these charges. None of this was true, and I had no earthly idea what was going on. I was literally dumbfounded, and every time he read something, I would say, I didn't do this, I didn't do it. And he said, ma'am, this is not your day for trial. You're just going to have to sit and wait for the judge's um, ruling. Either he'll give you a bond, or depending on your charges, you may not get a bond. So my heart sunk again. I was completely in shock. I had never been to jail before, and I had done little misdemeanor things. You know, maybe stole something out of the mall, uh, was in a stolen vehicle with friends, just being in the wrong crowd. Little dumb things that you do in high school and junior high when you think you're grown, but nothing on this level or this magnitude. This is These are serious charges that could have got me put in prison. So, like I said, the man wasn't listening to anything I was saying. And the only thing I kept saying was, I didn't do this. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do this. He takes me upstairs to the actual holding cell where I was going to stay. And I go up this metal elevator with him in handcuffs. My heart is beating through the roof. It was like literally being sent to hell. Because instantly when I got to the top of the elevator, I heard screamings, cries, chains. I mean, and I'm not even being dramatic. It was literally just that bad. So once the elevator opened, he handed me over to a female cop who starts to read off something that sounds like it's rehearsed, something she does often. And she's just reading it off, and she's reading it off, and she's telling me my rules and what I can and cannot do. She takes me to a cell, and in this cell, it's about a good 20, 25 women. And it was real dark. There was no light. And over in the corner, on the right-hand side, there was a woman that they had in her own cell, and she was the one I heard in the elevator screaming. And I was told later that she had mentally lost her mind, and she had killed two of her kids. And she was in there waiting to be transferred to a maximum security prison. And all the other females were hovered over in the right-hand side of fear of her. It was a big, heavy, stocky woman who was doing all the yelling. And she almost broke through the bars. So the fear was all intense through this holding cell that we all was in. So instantly going in, you think about the things that you see on TV and the things that you hear. Don't show fear. Don't cry. Don't smile. Don't breathe. You know, you just don't know what the hell to do. So I just walk in, and I am generally a nice person. I'm one of those people that walk in a room, and I instantly smile, and I say, hey, how y'all doing? It's just my nature. I don't try to do it. It just happens. So naturally, that's what I wanted to do, and I had to suppress that feeling of wanting to smile, wanting to speak. And I don't have mean looks and and glary eyes. I have big, gigantic, brown, wide eyes that scream innocent, especially at 17, just as naive as ever. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to show them that I am not scared, which I am not, but I was very scared. So instantly, a woman comes up to me, and she says to me, I know you. Your name is Ju. And I look at her. She was a tall, strong-faced, dark-skinned black girl. She says, oh, my brother is Jacob. And I said, I don't know Jacob. And then it dawned on me, my best friend, my homegirl at the time was dating Jacob. This is Jacob's sister, who I had just read about in a newspaper that was going to prison for tax fraud. Had her on multiple counts of tax evasion and all sorts of things of that nature. And she said, don't worry, just come with me, I got you. 
She said, I saw a picture of you that he had of you and your friend Sharika. I said, cool. So I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable. Because her presence came off as strong as a leader and someone not to really be bothered with. So the next day, it was a Friday. The next day was a Saturday. I would not be able to see the judge until Monday. I did not sleep. I did not use the restroom for those two days. My body had literally went in hibernation. It shut down. I sat up in that cell, looked up at that dirty wall, and with all those smells, and I prayed to God, I don't know what's going on. I can't do this. It's not fair. I don't know why I'm here. I should not be sent off to prison with these charges. Why would this happen to me? And at that exact moment, something said, get smart. When you get in front of the judge, ask your lawyer or whoever that you're going to be with to show you these charges. Look at the dates. Pay attention to the dates. That's what kept going over, playing in my head. Pay attention to the dates. So when Monday comes, they take me downstairs with a group of other women. We're all chained together. And we sat in another holding cold cell with bright fluorescent lights over us. When my name was called, the judge reads off all these charges to me. And he says to me, young lady, how do you plead? I said, I didn't do any of that. He says, so what does that mean? Are you plead guilty or not guilty? I said, I plead not guilty. He set my bail at $1,500. All of a sudden, I hear somebody say to me, don't worry, we got you. And when I turned around, I saw my friends and their father standing there, cheering me on, letting me know that they got me. And that made me feel at ease. They said, we're going to get you out. Don't worry. So I felt more comfortable. Going back upstairs to the holdings, I said, let me call my mother. Maybe she can help. When I called my mom, I said, Mom, I'm in jail. She hung up the phone. <laughs> now, like I said, growing up, I used to do some things that, you know, always made my mother worry about how I would be as an adult. And now that I was living on my own, in her mind, she assumed I manifested all those bad ideas and things that I had done in the past, and I had become this, this horrible young lady. So she was not going to have anything to do with it. So she hung up and deleted the, the offer for me to use collect calling. So I knew then that the only people that I could rely on at that moment were my friends because they were the ones there in the courtroom cheering me on, letting me know that they were going to do what they could do to get me out. And sure enough, they did. I ended up getting released that night. They paid my bill. So I, was, I had to go to court in March of 2015, and during this time, it was October of 2014. So me being the type of person I am, I'm very relentless. I went up to the courthouse. I got the paperwork. I got the information. I had got the whole um, complaint against me. I started comparing dates. And, like, you remember when I was explaining to you guys that my window got busted out? I had to take it to the repair shop for three days. Well, during the time of those three days that my car was in the repair shop, these young ladies said that I had ran them off the road, got jumped out of my red Honda Accord, snatched their son out of their vehicle, and they had to go on a high-speed chase and chase me around Montgomery, Alabama to get their son back. And then when they jumped into the car to get their son, I pulled out a Magnum 357, which I did have. But she knew I had a Magnum 357 because she used to hang with me. She's, in the report, she stated that I took the Magnum 357 out of um, and pointed it at her, and I shot it at her a couple of times, but I missed, and then I drove off. And those were the charges that were given to me, and they were all lies, and they were all false. But how God works, if you pay attention, it was during the time that my car was at the shop. 
So I went to the shop and got a paperwork stand that my my car, that my car was at the shop. And I had also taken a trip to Atlanta, Georgia, a week before that, during the time that they said that I had went to their home and I had tried to break into their home and they caught me. The same day, around the same time that they stated that this had happened, I was literally in LaGrange, Georgia, getting a ticket. So I had all the evidence that I needed to prove that this was not me. So during this time, when, they, when these, uh, these complaints came out, somehow they got a hold of my new cell phone number and they were calling my phone and hanging up, calling my phone and hanging up. Had no clue what was going on. They were calling, hang up, calling, hang up. So finally one time they called, I said, listen, I hope you come to court because I have all the proof that y'all were lying and y'all are the ones that are gonna go to jail. And they hung up the phone. <laughs> Guys, I know this is a long and unbelievable story, but it's the truth. And it is amazing to me as I tell it to you guys now. Once I was released from jail, I went home. And this time when I went home, they had vandalized my home once again. It was to the point that so many things had started to happen to me that I was numb to the situation. But one thing that I would not allow them to do was to see me sweat. Every time they broke into my home, every time they vandalized my vehicle, Every time they called my phone and hung up, I never showed emotions. I never, after that one time when I hit the vehicle with the umbrella, I never showed emotions. I would still even go to the clubs that I was able to get into free by myself, knowing that they would be there. Because I wanted them to confront me. Because that was one thing they had never did. They did everything to my, to my possessions, but never to me. And time and time again, I asked him to confront me. I even remember one time being in the club, and I sat there at the bar, and I asked the bartender to send all three of them a, sh a shot, a, a Patron. And I looked at them. I wanted them to know that they couldn't stop me. No matter what they did to me, they could never break me. Even though internally, I was really being broken. I was, my health had deteriorated. I had lost maybe 20 to 30 pounds during this situation but I would never let them see me hurt. I had even gone to the hospital with 105 fever. The doctor said that I was near malnutrition, that my stomach had dropped because it was so empty. And during that time, the only thing that I would do is smoke weed and drink alcohol and try to figure out my next move before these women try to figure out mine. It was a wild time. When this happened, the lesson that I learned from this, and I, I am very, very, very thankful for these times, because one thing that it has taught me is not only to pay attention to who's around me, but there's a certain look and there's a certain glim in every single one of those women's eyes that when I see it again in anyone else, I know that's a warning. I know that that person is not my friend, and I know that that person is someone that I need to keep an eye on. They taught me the streets. They taught me how to not be naive. And they taught me that everyone is not for me. And I thank all of them for that. Now, you ask, why did they do all these things to me? So I find out later on, actually almost a year after all of these things had happened, that the girl that who I claimed to be my friend, the guy that she was dating, was also the same guy that I was dating. I had no idea. Actually, 
I knew that they were friends, but I didn't know that they were actually in a relationship. He would come over to my home. We would go out to eat. He was a rapper, so I was always able to go to the clubs and go see him perform. He would, you know, fill up my gas tanks, little stuff like that. So when she found out that I was someone that he was speaking with, she took it out on me and not him. And that is literally the reason why these girls attacked me the way that they did. When it was time to go to court, they did not show up. And in Alabama, the victim, the victim doesn't show up the first time. They're able to, you, you have to come back to court the second time. Now, during the time of court, like I said, it was March 2015. All these things started happening, and it ended around October 2014. I had a friend that lived in Atlanta, Georgia. I had met her when I was going to Alabama State University. She, when I first met her, when I first seen her, she was very fly. She was just very put together. She had such a dope swag about her. I was instantly drawn to her as a person. I wanted to know her. I wanted to be like her. I wanted to know how she had such flair and class about her. We instantly became friends, and she ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia. So I would periodically drive up there, hence when I got my ticket in LaGrange. I would drive up there to see her. Her lifestyle to me was amazing. She had a big, beautiful apartment. She had a great job. She had the best clothes. She had the nicest cars. She was just so fly. And I would come back to Alabama and be like, wow, you know, she's doing things that, I, that I've never seen before. You know, she's in a bigger city. She's living a better life. And she would always tell me, just come up here, come up here. Leave them girls where they are. Come up here, be with me. We can grow. We can make money. She was a stripper. Or actually, she was starting to get into stripping. She was hanging out with strippers. So by influence, she wanted to become one. So she was, but she had such flair about her that anything she said, I automatically just knew it was the right thing. It was, she couldn't lie. She had to be telling the truth, right? She just had to be that person. So I ended up moving to Atlanta in 2014 in December. We ended up getting a two-bedroom apartment. And I even tried, guys, one time to strip. It was a fail. Nothing even happened. I think I walked out with $10 in my pocket. I knew then that was life was not for me. Now, I just left Montgomery, Alabama. Just got, just got you know, some stripes to, of understanding. You know, I had been tainted by the world just enough that gave me enough strength and understanding to move to a bigger city. But now here I am in a bigger city, and I am just as green as na and naive as I was when I first moved out of my mama's house at 17 years old. But it was a different naive. It was a different beauty. It was a different lesson. It was a different growth. It was powerful. It was beautiful. It was Atlanta, Georgia. And I was 19 years old, ready. <laughs> to shine so brightly, the darkness must be present. Francis Bacon. When I was 18 years old, I was sitting in my mother's kitchen. She was standing in front of me with a broom in her hand and such disappointment in her eyes. She looked at me and she said, 
Baby girl, your light shines so bright. You need to get out of this small country state and move somewhere where your light can be challenged so it can shine brighter. This is not the place for you. And she walked away. I knew that she was coming from a place of love, but she did not understand where I was at the time. During this time, I was living on my own for the very first time. I was living amongst snakes, but being so young and naive, I'm still in the mindset that everyone is my friend. I had just got released from county jail for something that I did not do. During this time, I was young, I was beautiful, I was inspiring, I was innovative, I was relentless. I was everything that a young 18-year-old girl is supposed to be during that time. One thing that I wasn't was street smart, or as I thought I was. In my neighborhood where I was living, in my apartment, I had a guy who was very known in the neighborhood, in the city actually. He was a local DJ, he comes from money, he loved to stunt, had different kind of cars, motorcycles, he had all the new fashion, things of that nature. All the girls wanted to deal with him because he was known as a trick. It was real easy to get money out of him. He actually had bought me a car. And also, I was able to go to any club in Montgomery, Alabama at that time for free. I was able to get free drinks, the works, name it. I was hanging out with this girl that lived behind me. I thought she was my friend. I would take her out with me. We would go to the clubs together. I really thought she was someone in my corner. Again, I was 18 and very naive. One day I came home to my apartment being broken in. Had no clue, of course. Thought it was just a random break-in. Someone who knew I lived by myself. Nothing serious at the time. A couple of weeks go by, and then a neighbor of mine comes to me and she says, that same girl that you hang out with and you go to the clubs with is the same girl that robbed you. She had a party the other night when you wasn't home, and she told everybody that the TV that she had and the stereo that she had in her home was the ones that she got from you. She said, you need to check who you be with. I just couldn't believe it. I said, no, that ain't true. I know good and well that this friend of mine was not broken into my house. But then I sat back and realized I hadn't seen her or been in her home. And she literally lived right behind me. Our back doors were adjacent to one another. That is just how close we were to one another. Still being naive, I didn't think anything into it, or nor did I investigate it. So some more time goes by, and I get up to go to work one day. I was actually attending school at Alabama State University, and I was working as a monitor tech at a, at a local hospital. And I come outside, and the car that the guy had bought me, the rims had been taken off. He had 18s on the rims, on the, tr on the car, and they were gone. The car was sitting on blocks, as they say. So, of course, I called him. I'm like, hey, somebody stole the rims. He said, no problem, baby girl. We'll stun even harder. So he went and put 22s on the car. It was a beautiful car. It was a white drop-top Eclipse. Had two 12s in a little trunk. You know, I was really stunting at the time. So he did just that. He put 22s on the car. Naive as always. Pull the car back up at home, not thinking anything of it. About three days later, I come outside, and the whole vehicle itself was gone. The car was not there at all. But this time when I called him, he had such a blase blah attitude about it, it sparked red flags for me. He said, well, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I don't know. Why would the car, who was still the car? And I was just as in shock as I could be because I had no idea what was going on. But at this moment, I realized I was being targeted. 
So, of course, I need a vehicle to get around. So I ended up having to use my savings and getting me a vehicle. During this time of me saving money, catching rides, and doing all these things of this nature, the women that lived in the apartment who I thought were my friends had moved out. I went to the landlord and I told them like, I, that I found out that they were the ones that actually broke into my home. The landlord, I asked the landlord to take me out of my lease because they knew where I lived, and I believed that they also were the ones that stole the car. The landlord 